Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. We're going to get into our teaching series, Meet Me at the Top. As you're finding that, let me just point out two specific things that I would ask you to partner me, partner with, with me uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, one is that we have children's camp, as uh, Sean mentioned when he was praying earlier. Uh, we have almost 40 children from Crossgate Church, uh, third to sixth grade, going to Camp Renew uh, out in Spring Lake this week. Uh, so I want you to pray that God would move in their hearts But here's the other cool thing. We also have 13 of our middle school and high school students who have volunteered to serve as leaders at camp. So Pastor Josh, our student next-gen pastor, actually has all of those students out at Camp Renew this weekend to train them up, not just to go out and play kickball with the kids, but to share the gospel with the children and to train them with other ministry initiatives. So you can trust that the entire next generation, nearly the entire next generation of Crossgate Church is going to be impacted over the next six or seven days, but we need you to pray. The other thing I'm going to ask you to do is to partner with me at Vacation Bible School. One of the things that I love about Kids Camp and Vacation Bible School is there is a tremendous spirit-driven synergy that takes place between those two things happening among some of the same children. Uh, I will tell you, Vacation Bible School is one of the highlights of the year for me, and I always look forward to serving and to putting my hands on the the ministries at Vacation Bible School. So I'm going to ask you to join me the last week of July here at Crossgate Church. You can go get more information and sign up at the table out in the mall area. Let's partner together to reach these children for Jesus Christ. As we get into today's passage, let's remind ourselves about the gist of this series in verses 12 and 13. Look at this. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You know, as I read those verses, I hear the voice of the great American narrator, Morgan Freeman, simply saying this, get busy living or get busy dying. And I want to get busy living in the power of the Holy Spirit because we know the Word of God says that it is the Holy Spirit of God that makes all the difference in the life of an individual. But not just in the life of an individual. Hey, how about this? The Holy Spirit of God makes all the difference in the life of a church as well, right? Because there's a big difference between being a Spirit-filled church that is depending upon God to do something in us and through us versus being a church that's simply resting in its own clever ideas and its own ingenuity and its own uh, work and effort and and, and all the rest. There's a big difference between those two things. In fact, I I shared with you a few years ago a quote from Pastor David Platt. As a pastor myself, I need to go back and read this probably about once a month. Look at this. I'm a part, and I think it's safe to say we are a part, of a religious system that has developed all sorts of means and methods for doing church that in the end requires little, if any, help at all from the Holy Spirit of God. We don't have to fall on our faces and cry out to God for the church to grow. We have marketing for that. We don't have to bring the crowds in through prayer. We have publicity for that. We have deceived ourselves into mistaking the presence of physical bodies in a building for spiritual vitality. I am convinced that it is dangerously possible to go through the routines and programs and stuff and look back and realize that the Spirit of God has been almost entirely absent and completely neglected in the process. 
It may very well be that the greatest hindrance to the advancement of the gospel today is the attempt of the church of God to do the work of God apart from the power of the Spirit of God. What if it's not the self-indulgent immorality that surrounds us in our culture, but it's the self-sufficient mentality that plagues us in the church that hinders the advancement of the gospel? It's a great question for you, as it is for me. There's a big difference, again, between a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit and a church that is depending on its own ingenuity. Uh, and, And what do we get when we depend on ourselves? I'll tell you exactly what we get. We get this. And this is a real church in Georgia that I saw a few years ago. Bland Baptist Church. You say, Bland Baptist, is that a joke? No, that was an actual church. I was driving down a country road in Georgia one day. I saw this little country church And I said, there's a sermon illustration in there somewhere, and I took a picture of it. Come to find out, it's actually, the real name of this church is Bland Memorial Baptist Church, and and it's actually named after a family whose last name was Bland, Bland Memorial Baptist Church. But I think you get the point. The point is this. No matter how smart we may be, no matter how many resources we may have, no matter how beautiful our campus is and all the rest, Without the power of the Holy Spirit of God flowing out of us and overflowing, we'll be nothing more than a bland church. And may I speak to the leaders for just a moment? I'm speaking to our elders, our pastors, our life group leaders, our deacons, our trustees, others in in leadership positions at Crossgate Church. If we as leaders are not filled with the Holy Spirit of God, Crossgate Church will be nothing more than the bland leading church the bland. Isn't that true? So as we get into the message today, we're going to talk specifically about the spirit of adoption. What what, what does the Bible talk about when it talks about us being adopted into God's family? But let's always remember that whether it's talking about adoption or anything else from Romans chapter 8, we cannot experience the victory apart from the Holy Spirit of God. All right, so let's go to verses 14 through 17. This is our main passage for the day. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Let's go in advance to the next slide. All right, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. First thing I want you to see this morning, straight from the scripture, is this the fact of our adoption. Let's just spell it out. The fact of our adoption. Now, let me ask you a question Who are the children of God? Who are the children of God? Now, if we were to hit the streets in Hot Springs or in any other city in the United States and ask people on the street, who, who are God's children? Most people would say, We're all God's children, right? Every one of us is God's child. Uh, Sometimes you hear people talk about the the universal fatherhood of God. Sometimes people talk about the universal brotherhood of man. And, And to some degree, it is true. We are all God's created beings, but just because you're created by God doesn't mean you're a child of God. Isn't that right? Now, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what the people on the street say. It doesn't really matter what Pastor Phil says at the end of the day. What what really matters is what? What does the Bible say? Absolutely. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, look at this from John chapter 1, verse 12. To all who received him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children 
of God. 1 John 3, verse 1, look at this. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. According to the Bible, anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ has become a child of God. That's what the Bible says. We're not all children of God, meaning every single person who's ever lived on the face of the earth, but only through Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. And then, listen, this is, this is wholly appropriate to talk about the fact that we have been adopted into God's family. That's what we see in Romans chapter 8, but we see it elsewhere as well. Look at this in Galatians 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now think about this for a moment. Typically, when someone shares their personal testimony of how they came to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, they'll say, I got saved, and then they might mention a month or a day or something. You know, They'll talk about when it happened. Or, I was born again. So, so for me personally, I would say something like this. I was saved in April of 1990. I can't remember the specific day, but I remember it very clearly happening. It was late April of 1990. That's when I was saved. Or I might say I was born again in April 1990. But did you know that it would be just as appropriate for me to say I was adopted, spiritually speaking, in April of 1990? Sure, it'd be the exact same thing because we're all talking about the same thing. We were adopted. As a matter of fact, if you were to talk to families, and perhaps some of you here have adopted children into your family, or maybe you yourself were adopted, one of the common practices now among adoptive families, I love the practice, is to have a gotcha day, right? The, the day, the day when, when, when that child officially became a part of your family is known in many families as a gotcha day. And many adoptive families will celebrate this just like they would celebrate uh, a child's physical, natural birthday. Hey, this is your gotcha day. Let's, let's go get something special to eat or let's go do something fun. This is your gotcha day. We're going to celebrate this. Well, same thing. My gotcha day, spiritually speaking, was in late April of 1990. Do you have a gotcha day? Was, was, was there a day? Can you, can you look back and, and recall a day? You may not remember the specific time and place and moment, but you remember it happening that when, when you were adopted into God's family by faith in Jesus Christ, I tell you, this is not something God wants us to, th to think so or hope so or maybe so, to know so. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But you think about the fact that we have been adopted into God's family, and now God is our, is our father. Wait a minute, Phil. What, Pastor, I thought we were born into God's family, right? Or we, we're born again. I mean, now you're talking about adoption? Well, we're talking about the same thing, just two different ways. Right? When we talk about the new birth, we're talking about our, our spiritual regeneration, our transformation through the Holy Spirit coming inside of us. That's the transformational aspect of coming into the family of God. But the adoption side is more of a transactional, where, where we have been adopted. We were formerly not in God's family, and now, by the work of God, we are in the family of God. Either way, you got God as your father, right? E e either way. Now, understand this, and if you've traveled the world, you know that this is true. Every culture, almost every culture, with every language, typically has two different words for the male parent. Two different words. One is more formal, 
and the other is more very intimate, like what a young child would say. Of course, in English, what are those two words? The formality is father. Probably not many of y'all say father. May I please go and do thus and such, right? But there's a formal word for the male parent, and then there's an informal, intimate word. In English, most of the time that word is daddy or dada or something along those lines. And it's amazing how every single culture and every single language has their counterpart to father and dada. And and that's why in verse 15 it specifically says, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word of that, uh, a very intimate word for daddy, okay? Abba, in this case, is not the Europop disco band that some of y'all remember so well, especially in this service. Not as many people knew Abba in the first service, but I know a lot of y'all probably could still break out some of your, your, your special disco clothing and so forth, all right? We're not talking about this Abba, okay? We're talking about God in an intimate way so that it would not be irreverent to even address God in, in, in a term like we would say, Daddy. By the way, that's exactly what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark 14, 36, I don't have this in the notes, but Mark 14, 36, you can write it down. That's where Jesus was in great anguish, and he said, Abba, Father, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, your will and not my own. That's what Jesus said. Now, I, I know that when we start talking about God as our Father, that's a challenge for some folks because, quite honestly, your earthly father did not deliver as he should have. Either he was just absent or abusive physically, emotionally, or, or somehow there, there was a, a tremendous amount of friction and tension between you and your earthly dad. And to this day, I spoke with someone out in the, in the mall area earlier today, and they said, man, I, I, you know, and this is someone who, who, whose, whose earthly father had passed from the scene long ago, and they said, I'm still having a hard time forgiving this, this person for some of the things they did. And sometimes when you talk to people about God as a heavenly father, they, they chafe a little bit because they, they, they have a hard time imagining God as being the good father that he is when their number one primary earthly example completely dropped the ball. That's why, and I don't have this in the notes either, but I just thought about it this morning. Write this down, Psalm 68, 5. Psalm 68, 5 is where it says, God is a father to the fatherless. God is a father to the fatherless. No matter what your experience is with your earthly father, I I can tell you God is incredibly good, incredibly loving. And as, as as he enters into that relationship through this adoption, right, we realize that it is not a relationship of fear, but of love. Not, not, a, not a spirit of fear, but, but of love. Love because of the love that our Father, our Heavenly Father has for us. You know, I, I remember years ago when I was in the Marines, probably 20 years old or so, and, uh, and, and these guys would go do stuff on Sunday morning. And I, you know, I'd been a Christian for two or three years. I was serious about following the Lord. And I went to church almost every Sunday. Uh, if, as long as I wasn't on duty or had something else work-related, I was in church. And, uh, and they went paintball. That was back when paintball was, was first coming out. And they said, we're all going to play paintball on Sunday morning. Hey, Kramer, you come play paintball. Come on, let's go play paintball. I said, and this one guy named Doug, I specifically remember his name, Doug. I said, man, Doug, I, you know, I go to church on Sunday morning. I'm sorry, brother, I can't, I can't go play paintball with you. 
He said, oh, come on, Kramer. God's, God's not going to send you to hell just for skipping church. And, and I, um, I wish I could claim this as my own, but I had stolen it from a pastor that I heard say this. But I responded to him. I said, you know, Doug, you're right, man. God is not going to send me to hell for skipping church. I said, the slave fears the master's whip. The son wants to please the father's heart. Right? And I said, that's why I'm going to go to church and not play paintball. But I appreciate the invitation. You know, the relationship we have with God, some, again, some of you, whether it was explicitly described as such or there was this implication, this implied messaging, that, that somehow your relationship with God was primarily one of fear. And I'm not talking about reverent fear. I'm talking about fear. I'm afraid of what God's going to do to me if I don't get in line. That is not the God of the Bible, friends. I will tell you that the, 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 the Heavenly Father we know through Jesus Christ, we, well, look at the Scripture. We have a relationship of love whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's, that, that, that's the fact of our adoption. Second of all, let's talk about this, the evidence of our adoption. The evidence of, of our adoption. Look at verse 16. It says, By God's Spirit, His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You say, okay, so how, how do you know? How do you know that you've been, how do you know that you're saved, Phil? Well, again, the Holy Spirit bears witness Himself with our spirit that we might know that we're children of God. Of God. Hey, by the way, this is a good time to reiterate something we've said in earlier messages, and that is that the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. Okay? The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal entity, an, an impersonal force. By the way, all you Star Wars fans out there, you will appreciate this. Uh, you know, the, and and this, this should not surprise us, because George Lucas uh, was very, very specific about infusing the entire Star Wars franchise with tons of Eastern religion uh, philosophy and sprinkle a little bit of Christianity on the top as well. So look, look at this conversation between uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and young Anakin Skywalker from probably the worst movie in the entire Star Wars franchise, by the way, because I can't stand Jar Jar Binks, but we're not going to go down that road right now, okay? Check this out. Without the midichlorians, the midichlorians are in the Star Wars world, that's all the little things that are in your bloodstream that kind of help you to have, you know, connectivity with the force, this impersonal force. Without the midichlorians, life could not exist. And we would have no knowledge of the Force. They continually speak to us, telling us the will of the Force. And when you learn to quiet your mind, you'll hear them speaking to you. Now, that, that, this impersonal force that's out there, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not personal, it's just it's impersonal kind of deal. That's not the Holy Spirit. We, we see the Holy Spirit himself. The, the Holy Spirit is personal. By the way, the Holy Spirit is also not primarily and ultimately an emotion either. Sometimes, I don't know why, but sometimes we always associate the Holy Spirit with, with an emotional experience. Sure, emotions can come. I love the feels when, when, uh, when, when, when I'm experiencing God's presence, but ultimately the work in, of the Holy Spirit is not an emotion. It's not a peaceful, easy feeling that won't let you down, right? Because then you're going to have a hard time distinguishing between the Holy Spirit and an eagle song, right? The, the fact is the Holy Spirit, here's what the Holy Spirit does to... to to let us know, to, to present evidence that we are children of God. First of all, the Holy Spirit convicts. Okay? The Holy Spirit convicts. And yes, the Holy Spirit convicts uh, lost people and the people of the world of their sin, that they need a Savior. But once you have the Holy Spirit inside of you as a follower of Jesus Christ, you better believe the Holy Spirit's going to come and give you some course corrections. That's one of the evidences that you truly are saved. 
Case in point, I got saved at the very end of my junior year in high school, okay? And uh, the, the first time that I, that I consciously remember, looking back now, consciously remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me and giving me a course correction because, because of conviction, all right? I was in English class, end of my junior year in high school, probably no more than about two weeks after I got saved. Two weeks after I was adopted into God's family, I'm sitting there in English class, and a guy right behind my, over my left shoulder asked to borrow a pencil. Now, you got to understand something. This guy, and I'm just, I'm just telling you what the assessment was, okay, cultural assessment, this guy was a total doofus, okay? He was a, everybody thought he was a total doofus. And so I'm sitting here, he says, hey man, can I get a pencil? Now, if it had been a month earlier, I would have said, sorry man, I got one, even though I had probably 10 of them in my backpack. But I didn't have, see what I was saying is, I didn't have one for that doofus, okay? That, that's, that's what I would have said before I got saved. But that, Jesus Christ, had come, the Holy Spirit had come to live inside of me, and I'm sitting at the desk, and this dude says, hey man, can I get a pencil? And just before I said, sorry, I ain't got one, something said to me, give, give him a pencil. Give him a pencil. Because that's what a Christian would do. I was like, okay. So I got a pencil out and I handed it to him. You say, was it an audible voice? No, it was much louder than that. And, and I, again, I had been a Christian for two weeks. I had no clue what was going on other than something told me to give that guy a pencil. Looking back, I realized that was the Holy Spirit giving me evidence that I was truly a child of God. Right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts Christian. That's one of the ways you know that you're a child of God is, is, is to have that, that course correction from the Holy Spirit. And if, and if you can just go on sinning and go on making bad choices that dishonor God and displease God without any kind of conviction whatsoever, you have no right to call yourself a Christian. Because that's part of the evidence. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits through conviction. But not only conviction, how about confirmation? Okay? The Holy Spirit confirms. All right? I want you to think about some scripture here. The Holy Spirit not only convicts, but the Holy Spirit confirms. Look at this scripture. Okay? From John chapter 14, the helper, which is John's word for the Holy Spirit, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, there, there is an unmistakable connection between the prophetic witness of the Scripture. Get that. There, there is a connection between the prophetic witness of the Scripture and the internal witness of the Spirit. And the two work together to confirm that we are children of God. Here's another one from John. Look at this. John chapter 16, 14. The Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here's something you need to understand. God wants you to know that you are his child. God doesn't want you guessing. God doesn't want you saying, I might be saved. God doesn't want you saying, I hope to make it to heaven someday. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible wants you to know, K-N-O-W, know that you are a child of God. How do we know this? Because we have the prophetic word of the Scripture and the internal witness of the Spirit. Look at this in verse John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. And then here's one of my favorites in the whole Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 1. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, 
we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I will tell you this, and I think I've shared this with you before. Many, many times when I was in Iraq and Afghanistan, sitting in the back of a, of a gun truck, going to the test fire pit, and the guy on top of that truck, right before we rolled out of the gate for a mission, and he, he shot about six or seven rounds out of that 50 caliber machine gun. Boom, 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 boom. Test firing that weapon system before we drove out on a mission. That scripture was on my lips. I said, God, I know that if this earthly tent in which I dwell is destroyed, I have a home in heaven not made with human hands. When I would sit in a helicopter and the blades are turning and it's loaded with rangers or paratroopers and we're sitting at the airfield at any number of places, Bagram, Kandahar, Helmand Province, Logar Province, any number of places in Iraq, and we're about to take off and go to some mission somewhere, that verse was on my lips. Why? Because I had the prophetic witness of the Scripture and the internal witness of the Spirit confirming with, in my mind, in my heart, that I was a child of God. And I knew that if something happened to me, I would immediately be in heaven. Do you have a gotcha day? Do you know for certain that you're saved? You know, I, I sit here and talk about this kind of stuff every single week, and yet I look in the eyes of some people who have never gotten their salvation settled. Never. You might, you might have a hope so, or a think so, or maybe so, or I hope I can get to heaven someday, but you don't really know. God says he wants you to know. That's the evidence that we have been adopted. But here's the last thing. Let's talk about the benefits for a moment, okay? Let's talk about the benefits of our adoption, because there are benefits, right? I mean, look, look at verse 17. When we're adopted into God's family, we become heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Or as every lawyer knows, where there's a will, there's a relative, right? And there, there are benefits to being adopted into God's family. It's a share and share alike kind of proposition. That's what we see in the Bible. Look in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and following. In Jesus you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. All right, let's put this in just street language, okay? Let's pretend that this guy comes up to your front door and he knocks on your front door and he says, I want to adopt you into my family. I mean, no matter how old you are, if you're 20 years old or you're 80 years old, doesn't matter. He says, I want to adopt you into my family. And when I adopt you into my family, he says, he says uh, this is going to be huge, right? I mean, unbelievable. It's going to be huge. Because not only are you going to be my heir, you're going to be co-heirs with Donald Jr. and Eric and Ivanka and Baron. And, and, and you're going to be, you, there's plenty to go around. You're going to be not only an heir of mine, you're going to be co-heirs with them. You, it's going to be a big deal, right? How, how many of you would take him up on that offer? Okay, well, if you don't want to be adopted by this guy, how about this other guy? Okay, what if this guy comes to your house and he says, I want to adopt you. You are going to be my heir and a co-heir with my boy, Hunter. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that gets you, except for maybe a free pass from the Department of Justice, okay? But the fact is, some of y'all figure that out in a second. But the fact is, whether it was Donald Trump or whether it was Joe Biden, if one of them adopted you into their family, you would certainly be an heir to a lot of things, right? Now, the whole point is I'm arguing from the lesser to the greater. In other words, if being adopted by one of the richest men in the world 
was going to lead to riches and, and all the rest. How much more is it to be adopted by the God of the universe and to be a co-heir with Jesus Christ? Now understand this. To be adopted by God means that the sufferings precede the glory, right? I mean, it says it right there in verse 17. And in two weeks from now, we're going to talk all about that. That the sufferings and the challenges of this present world could never possibly compare to the glories that await. I say two weeks because next Sunday, we're going to take a break from Romans chapter 8. It'll be July 2nd, and we're going to do a message, one service at 9.30 a.m., so don't show up at 11 because you'll miss it, okay? One service at 9.30, and, and we're going to talk about what the Bible says about being a citizen of the United States and being a citizen of heaven, okay? So if you love being a citizen of this country, come out next Sunday. And if you love being a citizen of heaven, come out next Sunday. But in two weeks, we're going to talk about the fact that, that the sufferings and the challenges, whatever they may be, to whatever degree we may experience them in this world, couldn't possibly compare to the glories that await us as children of God. Hey, here's the last thing I'll tell you about Jesus. This is, this is going to blow your mind. Blow your mind. Jesus, our co-heir as members of God's family, is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Did you know that? Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Blowing your mind this morning. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is, watch this, this is amazing. This is, that's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Isn't that good? God is not ashamed to call you. If you're saved, and you're adopted into God's family, God is not, Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother and his sister. Now I want you to imagine this. Let's imagine you're about 17 or 18 years old, and your parents go out and they find the dirtiest nastiest person in all of Garland County and they adopt that person into your family so now you have this this from a human standpoint this very undesirable person now it's your brother or your sister I mean literally they are now in your family would you be taking that person around to all of your friends and all of your hangouts and said man I want to introduce you to my new brother I want to introduce you to my new sister this is so exciting I'm so thrilled to have this person in my family is that, is that what you would do? Probably not. Is that what I would do? Probably not. I would probably, I'd probably have a real hang-up that, that this, this undesirable person has now become a part of my family. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't treat you that way? Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother, his sister. Jesus is not ashamed to call me his brother unbelievable that's why they say there's no other word for grace but amazing 
We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.